for when we run out. Oh, hey, what's up? Welcome back to Filmatic. You caught us in the middle of a little debate here. A little. We're trying to figure out what the intro should be, and we have a lot of great ideas. Ben Casey had a good one. Ben, what do y'all think? What do y'all think? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Pretty decent. I mean, you I know, lighting up I another disagree. I think that's another cool. lit episode of film. Am I right, guys? Woo. See, you saying that just ruined that entire <laughs> intro. All right. Well, uh, next person, go. Darian. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. We're gonna be uh, devouring another episode of Filmatic here. <laughs> I like that. There was a good level of moistness uh, in the chew. Oh, I'm still going. <clears throat> He's not done. I taste oh, I'm not sure I'm gonna vomit. A uh, little, little ASMR warning this is there. A Popeyes ASMR kind of vibes uh as you may have heard you heard ben casey you heard darian nigro you got connor park on the track hello got jeffrey williams turning and jenny talls (laughs) (laughs) hello guys what's up manny ray manuel ray is here and uh we're we're here we're ready for another episode of filmatic we're going to be talking about there will be blood Uh, um first question will there be blood there will be blood. Oh, good, because I was worried that there Period. would be a lack of blood in this film. And I was coming into the film hoping for a lot of blood. Yeah, I mean, when we were watching the movie, the Netflix party chat was just blowing up, you know, every other minute. Everyone's wondering where the blood was going to be <laughs> in this two-and-a-half-hour movie. I remember going, there's 23 minutes left, Nabil. Will there be blood? <laughs> yeah, and then okay, hold on. I object. I watched the movie today. There was blood before the end. Oh, there was. Oh, yeah. There was exclusively blood in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. There only was blood. There only just was. Only exclusively was blood. No, but the point was there wasn't a lot of blood. And from the title, you would think that. Well, I have something related to this that I I will be bringing up later in the movie, but... Later in the discussion, yeah. One Okay, one funny thing before (laughs) we start. I just received a picture of a tinder profile oh, of God. uh i will say the name it will be bleeped out i guess cade nelson <laughs> and it i don't think we should crack- bleep that one out we should leave that and out. it has the crack lady in the background it has the crack lady in it oh my Absolutely. god he's no in the photo way. i'm sending no it to no fucking mom. way no way because he was insane. at that party don't yes, bleep it's a this out from don't bleep this out it's too good <laughs> It's a picture from that night. I'm sure of it. Can we explain the night now? Yes. (laughs) So we were at at this large group thing. I don't know if it was a party, but we were at Libby's house. And do we know whose house it was that was next to hers? Lorenzo. Lorenzo. Lorenzo's house. They were having a party. And uh, this woman was outside. I was summoned outside because I heard there was a MILF. That's not not the case. (laughs) This woman was just a crackhead. And uh, she was confirmed, accusing- confirmed by her crack pipe that she pulled out and smoked. Yeah, like not not just she didn't even look that bad. Like I'm not trying to make a snap judgment. She just was very open about this fact. And um, <laughs> she was accusing the people at Lorenzo's house. I think possibly specifically Kate Nelson of stealing her no, cigarettes. Ashton, Ashton Brooks. Okay, so yeah, I guess they stole her cigarettes. <laughs> the, the cigarettes were just in her bag. She found them like an hour later. Yeah, um, I think, I don't know, she went to the gas station with you guys, right? I know that she hit someone's vape and then talked about how she f***ed her boyfriend's d- 
a couple hours ago and explicitly said that she but that was awesome. Um, if hitting the crack pipe wasn't enough of a sign that people should not be sharing mouthpieces with her, then... I was in the car with her, dude. She was crazy. I, I was the one that first met her out of our group of friends. She was coming down, and we had gone outside. Uh, me and a friend of ours went outside, and we ran into uh, Ashton and Lorenzo. And so we were just talking to them because we hadn't seen them in a long time. And Ashton just goes, dude, we're bringing her back to Lorenzo's place. <laughs> it was strange because just the, they came up to me and just said that. That's the exact words they use. Yeah, like, I had multiple people relay that message. Not even you, Jeff. To me, inside. that I <laughs> Gary didn't even come outside and the information made it back in. Yeah, like, it was very quick. It, it was pretty ridiculous. I don't even know. I don't even know if we should censor this, Emil. You know, uh, I think it's, it's pretty. You know, jealous. when I said that the listeners wanted more lighthearted fun, uh, I, I really wasn't. You know, you guys really went to the next level. Appreciate yeah, that. I'm sorry. What all I heard was bleep bleep, dude. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh... <laughs> Anyways, dude, what's everyone up to, guys? It's April 25th. I mean. What kind of uh, hygiene days exist anymore? That's yeah. I had homework due today. I'm pretty excited for uh, Bill Gates' takeover. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty pretty hype. Uh, I'm excited excited. for the Bill Cosby takeover. I'm I'm excited for the new Car Seat Headrest album next Friday. I heard Kanye West is doing a concert on Crunker. <laughs> I, I heard the same thing. Show up to that. We'll uh, put a link okay. somewhere. Well, yeah, apparently it's going to be in Littletown, and it's no bad. way. I heard. No, no way I heard actually. On Littletown. No, no, I heard they're bringing back Kanji for the concert. No way. Wait, is Kanji gone? Yeah, they got rid of Kanji and replaced it with like this gone? desert sand Egypt map. No, what? what? The desert yeah. map is hype, Kanji but it's was only the best Kanji. map. Kanji was You're only right. the best map. Oh, that's terrible. Little Crunker plug here. Crunker.io. Guys, go to Crunker.io free, free, fun browser game. The first person shooter. One of the best first person shooters I've played, actually, I think. One of the best ever. It's, it's one of the only games that can run on my computer, so it's really good time. <laughs> yeah, uh, turn in next week. We're going to be doing a Crunker podcast right now. Yeah, we're going to do that. It's pretty uh, on crunker crunker hub to check out the latest uh aim hacks i don't have aim hacks I'm just worse at the game and salty about it by the way i just i just cut that out so it's okay. if you're a mighty mouse fan <laughs> i just cut that out oh, oh, they did it right mouse. now mighty mouse, what? if anyone's into the classic golden age cartoon mighty mouse you can hit me up at mig T Y F A N two. That's M I G H T. No, 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 no H. There's no H. No H. Oh, no fuck. H. Oh fuck. I'm sorry. Fuck. M I G T Y F A N two. Wait, Mighty Mouse. Wait, no. M I G T Y. Oh my god. M- <laughs> <laughs> you get. You get the idea. Spelling. The spelling podcast. Welcome to Filmatic. We cannot spell. F I L Matic. All right, guys. We made it. We made it to almost the ten minute mark. I think we really, really. Put How some many light times there. can we say before we hit ten minutes? Please. Come on. Take so long to edit. Come on, man. Dominoes, everybody. Let's go. All right. Uh, normally, we would do some movie news. Not much news, though, as I'm sure you guys could. Ascertain from the situation. 
Yeah, a lot of movies just getting pushed, obviously. Notably, I don't know if we've talked about this. This is one thing I definitely want to talk about for a little bit. Sam Raimi is directing uh, the next Doctor Strange installment. And that moved from 2021 to March 2022. Damn. I know we talk a lot about Marvel movies, and we got some pretty strong views about that. And I know that at least Darian and me... I know Darian and me have talked about it explicitly saying that... Darian and I. Darian and I. Come on. Spelling. (laughs) This is a professional program, Nabil. Come on, shape up. I know that Darian and me have really... (laughs) Marley and me. (laughs) I know that Marley and me have really... (laughs) (laughs) Marley and me? Expressed interest in this in, in this one particularly, even though we don't really see much of it. What am I saying? Okay, what do you guys think of Sam Raimi directing Doctor Strange? Too? <laughs> I'm excited. His work with the Spider-Man trilogy was arguably the best we, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. So the I best we've seen of what? The best directing. Connor, there's not that massive sample size for Spider-Man. There okay, well, we have Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi. We've got Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. <laughs> Sam Raimi. We've got... <laughs> we've got um, Tom Holland as the new one. I'm saying... I'm, I'm putting it out there. Sam Raimi, his Spider-Man, best one. Yeah, Sam Raimi's is probably... <laughs> even with the inconsistent third entry, I think that it's still... The quintessential superhero. It, it, it holds up. It might just be a nostalgia factor, you know, but I don't know. Far From Home lost me. Movies and Garfield's was yeah. not. If you guys want to hear about that, just go back to almost any other episode. <laughs> yeah. just, it Basically comes up every time. Podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No One related note, can we talk about the Spider-Man that should have been but never was? Donald Glover. Donald Glover Spider-Man? Mm would have been the best Spider-Man. Yeah, see, that's the other thing. I feel like they jumped on that Donald Glover cameo and threw it out that he could ever be Miles Morales. I think he is a little bit too old, though, actually, so I don't know. Oh, he, he is too he old. Is. He is only too but, old. But, I mean, obviously that would be hype. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that Tobey Maguire a little bit too old. He, he has How dare you ever say anything negative guess, about Tobey so. Maguire? Shaved Donald Glover can shave. <laughs> <laughs> it could work, maybe. I mean, Marvel loves their de-aging, right? I'm sure they could figure out. Irishman um, over Spider Ver- I, I heard that Spider-Verse <laughs> got pushed back. Yeah, I got pushed back to 2022. Wait, a- yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, shit. That's hype. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not surprised. It made a fuck ton of money and everybody loved it. It was, a dope loved movie. It. It it was, was pretty good. great. Guys, Uncharted got moved forward. That's insane. <laughs> Make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> Wait, Uncharted 5 now? Connor, get this, dude. Get this, all right? They're making an Uncharted movie, right? Okay. And you're thinking, oh, okay, that could be good. Who are they getting? Bradley Cooper? You know, who? <laughs> Guess what? All right. Tom Holland is playing Nathan Drake. Are and you Mark kidding? Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg is playing Sully. I'm not joking. No. Oh, wait, no is this like... way? Are is you serious? Mark Wahlberg is Sully? I wish I was joking. I wish no, this was a yeah, story. yeah. I forgot about this, but it's it's gonna be like earlier on in their thing, right? No, so, that's fucking ridiculous. That well, is it's, such it's a supposed horrible. to be young yeah. young Nathan Drake, like a oh right? my god, like a very young yeah. Right? The, like, Did you mean about... writing the script so that they could get a list actor Tom Holland to play the part? Cause, yeah, because it's based on the fourth game, I think. Right? So. Uh, mm. In that game, game. the fourth game is oldest. He is the oldest in it. It's not a prequel. No, it's based on the sequence in the third game. Oh, the third game. Okay, that makes sense. 
but even then, I still... It's apparently a prequel to the games. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be like an origin <laughs> story. For... That's what we just said. Yeah, but I said it more accurately. All right. Better. Okay. Ben, anyway, yeah. I know. They're... I know that you wish you could have my singing ability. I'm sorry. I can't just get like that. But I mean, hey, All right, props Connor. for trying. Connor, you're the funny guy on this podcast. What can I say? <laughs> funny guy. Funny, it's, funny it's, guy over here. It's also interesting though, because they're both being made by Sony, right? And they're both using Tom Holland. So yeah, intriguing. Money, 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 like, money. Double, double up. Yeah, Tom Holland is boy. Yeah, and like you said, it's getting moved forward as mm. closer, uh, which is interesting. It's pretty high and less far away. I'm so glad. So is Morbius still coming out, or is that still going forward? It's still set. It's still set for July. And I also Which, opened a bag of Doritos today. Wonder Woman was on there. I'm surprised. Yeah, eh? I saw that. I saw that. So, dude, I've been eating those Doritos bags with Gal Gadot's face on them for weeks. <laughs> I'm so tired of seeing just Wonder Woman every single time I'm going <laughs> to eat a snack. Ah, uh, Spider-Man. I'm away from the movie back. now. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine all the toilet yeah, paper. Not anything crazy, but. Yeah. No. Every movie basically got pushed back except for Uncharted, which is really weird. They're all just like a few months though, right? Nothing like huge. Besides Spider Verse, um, yeah. So that's that's movie news for you. Good, good stuff. You should do a segment maybe in the future where you talk about new releases on Netflix that you should check out, something like that, like new to okay. new to streaming. That'd be kind of good. Well, actually, one I just saw that we might do in a few weeks. Uh, Django Unchained is back on Netflix. <laughs> Watch that today by. Bleep that! Bleep that! Bleep that! <laughs> Yeah, so it's on. It's back on Netflix today. That's a really good one. Really, one of one of my favorite Tarantino's. I actually just I think it could be my number one. Damn, it's a very good film. I just watched it, it today, Nabil. I'm very glad that I did. It's always such a good film to rewatch. If I remember correctly, fairly long. Uh, it is. Oh, it's it like 167 minutes running time. <sighs> You know, I believe there's a version of it um, released on Netflix back when it used to be on it, because I remember it was like a it was a mainstay on Netflix for a while. But I think they did a similar thing to the Hateful Eight, where they did it um, in like episodes. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, definitely a version, an extended version. Yeah, not extended, but um, with just like cut up into three parts. I think I don't know. The movie is suited well for that. So, yeah, I rewatched Hateful Eight a few months ago, and the episode format was actually really cool. You know, because you could—it's it, so much better to watch it in chunks, and it works so well with that movie. Yeah, I really might need to watch it. Yeah, and it also includes like extended. Oh yeah, because they, they took a lot of the cinematic pieces that Tarantino wanted to include in the movie out, because the movie's runtime by itself was already so long; it was past a three-hour threshold, right? Oh yeah, it was like three. 24 three minutes three hours 24 minutes or something it was three minutes long yeah it was three minutes long it was three minutes long wow but you get in an extra 30 minutes and very little of it is actual action it's just extra pieces to add into the conversations that give it more of a natural flow and it gives it just more cinematic beauty by taking some of the beautiful shots that tarantino had to take out it becomes a much better film if you watch it that way. Highly recommend. For sure. Yeah, some other things that uh, I'm sure most people already 
have watched on Netflix this month. Um, one of my favorite movies, The Green Hornet with Seth Rogen, <laughs> and uh, The Big Show. Show. Big Show, dude. No, I I watched the first episode and oh my god, I feel like I understand like what they do. WWE is like they have to have such a scope of movies and stuff, but there's nothing exceptional about that show except for him, of course. Yep, but they, they're really holding out Big Show that's in it. 2020. <laughs> Main evented WrestleMania. Main evented WrestleMania. Yeah, I'm sure most people already finished that show, but it's all in the library. You know how many people watch the Big Show show, I'm sure. Are they still making Marine movies? Oh, God, I hope not. Dolphin Tail? Did somebody say Dolphin Tail? The movie where my father was... So there will be blood. fucking guy yeah, just bleep that one out, Nabil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, go ahead. How was your father involved in Dolphin? No, Joe? Nabil, stop encouraging. Yeah, my dad was directly responsible for... Stop encouraging. That's actually really good. Your it's dad really did good. what yeah. to the Dolphins, Connor? That's horrible. <laughs> Man. Stop inflating Connor's ego. Jesus, Connor, I can't believe you would admit that live on the podcast, but... I think kind we're gonna have to move flex, on. Honestly. My, my dad. Oh my Swim. god, he does what? Your dad makes dolphins. <laughs> he makes them Jesus. do what? <laughs> Why would somebody want dolphins to be able to? <laughs> dude, that's horrible. Okay, <laughs> frankly, Connor, short Wait, of kicking what? you out of this podcast, we're gonna have to move on. I, I, I that's really heinous, and oh. I think Connor should start his own podcast, like a rival podcast. Oh, you call it? I haven't heard a lot of bestiality podcasts, so. <laughs> you haven't heard a lot of podcasts before? <laughs> there will be blood. It's it's time. It's time. Wait, are you watching you... It's Time or There Will Be Blood? Connor. Oh, that's in Connor. time. My bad. Never mind. Bad Shut your mouth Connor. and know Connor. your Connor. role. <laughs> All right. Jeff, are you trying to say that you're not a fan of In Time, the tw- 2011 sci-fi action movie starring Justin Timberlake? Okay. You know I'm not seeing that movie. Have you not seen that movie? It's so good. It's a very good movie. Yeah, great, great actor Justin Timberlake. Fantastic. Anyway. Oh shit! Actually, I have seen that movie. That movie's insane. Yeah, isn't it so good? It's not good. (laughs) I will not say it's good. It's a cool concept for sure. It is a cool concept. It was not a good movie in any way. I mean, it's rocking a 37 on Rotten Tomatoes. So, stand your. Oh yeah. It's only good in the sense that you nostalgically remember it being on your television at some point, but having no idea why there was a movie starring Justin Timberlake. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. I actually have seen this movie on TV. I was in the free section of on-demand movies. It was always (laughs) on Disney Channel when they used to do their movie marathons and stuff. Disney Channel? What? (laughs) No way that's correct. It I think it is a Disney Channel movie. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> what chan- What was it on then? What? What, is, what movie are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's probably an AMC or something. Who? I don't know. I'm just it's sure. 20th it's Century Fox. It was so definitely it's probably a free on a Fox movie channel. FX oh, Fox. It's on Cinemax. See, I saw it, and I don't have any paid channels. Jeff, there's no way. There's no way you're thinking about Minutemen. From Disney Channel? Is that what you're thinking about by any chance? <laughs> no, but when he said when he said the movie, I was like, 
thinking of Minutemen, but then I was like, no, I know what movie he's talking about. But Minutemen is a very good movie. If you <laughs> want to watch In Time, if you want to watch In Time, I don't think it's on streaming, but just so you guys know, Friday, May 1st at 5.50 p.m. It's playing on Action Max East. It's on Hulu, it says. All right, well... <laughs> I, I, I just typed in In Time... In time movie in Google, and the first thing it says is Hulu. All right, well, I typed in time under. I typed in time channel to see what channel I watched this on, and I've got three results here near the top. One is the next Democratic debate, WrestleMania 36, and the Joker Academy Awards TV channel. I don't know what's happening, but those have to be three of the best search results I've ever seen. So. The Joker TV show, the there's Joker a, TV channel. There's a, there's a picture of Joaquin Phoenix, Bernie Sanders, and Drew McIntyre, all right next Whoa. to each other. No way. In Google Images, yeah, it's it's great. Nabil, can we please put just like just have the in time movie poster? <laughs> Maybe it's possible. Connor, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> no, yeah, Connor, that's uh, that's possible. I think when we say there will be blood, I think it's Nabil going to Connor's house and choking him to death. I feel like that's what this podcast is going to end up with. If I, I choked it up, though, there wouldn't be blood. Okay, fine. Battered. Or, I don't Connor know, reveals legend. himself to be a false prophet. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are what? <laughs> Let's go into it. I'm in time. Okay. <laughs> there will be blood. <laughs> it's time. There will be blood. Okay, guys. What do we? Can we get a little summary? Can we get a little quickie? Can I go summary again, Nabil? Yeah. All right. All right. I'll hit the summary position unless anyone wants it. Um, so basically, the movie follows, uh, what is it? Starting at the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s, uh, following oil, what is it? Mining, fracking, drilling, drilling. Uh, people drilling for oil and uh, follows this guy who is making a fuck ton of money off of doing this. And... Uh, follows his endeavors in this business um you know him and his son who's not actually his son but functionally is um, okay that was an unnecessary spoiler Can we i thought we were going full well, spoiler it's the first, well, yeah and it's also the first 10 minutes of the movie where he gets the kid right so yeah oh Probably never mind never mind yeah never no mind. i was a little confused about that but like you see is basically uh you know one of the people he was working with while uh drilling or mining or whatever you'd like to call it, dies in an accident, and he ends up taking his son. Um, yeah, but he's I, actually I trying to... At first. I didn't get that at first. I was just thinking that like the other guy was holding the kid. Oh, like, yeah. I don't know. Um, but uh, he's basically, I don't know if you'd say monopolizing, but he's trying to take control of this entire industry and make as much money as he can, trying to be the only one that can succeed. And uh, you just kind of see his character... I don't even know if it's a devolution, kind of, but he was already pretty messed up. Um, I guess we can get into yeah, specific like, events that happen as we go into the discussion here. But, yeah, I think it's just, I feel like it's more you're learning about the character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the the setting for everything and pretty much what's happening the entire movie, I'd say. That's yeah. a pretty good summary right there, Darian. Thank you for that one. Let's give a little round of applause for Darian here. Alright, that's enough. 
He doesn't. I could, do done, I could have just done a sound effect, but all right. Um, <laughs> no need. We'll save you the editing. Yeah, you guys are gonna do all your own sound effects from now on. All right. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We should that have was a really good. That was a good summary. Uh, there's a lot of things to talk about. Could go chronologically since we're yeah, talking let's about go character's development. So yeah, let's go chronologically, and we can obviously get if we get cut off on something, just go whatever direction. But okay. the intro, the first you know twenty minutes or so, it's to me, it felt very uh, Kubrick, two thousand one Space Odyssey. You know, there was no dialogue. It was pure soundtrack and image, and it was beautiful. It was incredible in every sense of the word. And it just felt like perfect storytelling. Uh, you know, you're seeing him mine the uh, oil reserve, plant the explosive. You see how he injures his leg. Uh, and then you see his resolve as he literally crawls back. Actually, to... Nabil, that mine, it's not oil. When he's doing the mining part, that's for silver. Uh, okay, yeah, thank you. At the true. beginning, he is mining ore. Yeah, that's correct. And Sorry, that's how he that. gets money. He gets money to front his oil business. Okay. And you see that part, and then you obviously see afterwards with the then that's the oil neck with the other workers uh the father of hw his death and it just felt very at times especially this during the silver part it felt very ethereal to me. very much reminded me of uncut gems in that scene of that movie yeah, and one true. thing one thing that i really liked about that opening scene like besides the lack of dialogue was like the whole soundtrack was just like orchestral music like it wasn't like you know band stuff it was just an orchestra playing and i felt like that was just did so well to like add kind of the suspense and like the intensity of those first scenes and also like the colors and the lighting of the scenes like being like very dark and in the mines like, you know accurate because they're in mines but it also just adds more to like the dark like not exactly sinister but kind of suspense beginning but i felt yeah also in that lack of dialogue not only the soundtrack but also just the the sounds of him just banging away i think are pretty impactful since nobody's talking you know just the impact all these working yeah atmospheric yes this movie is very immersive in terms of atmosphere it really feels like you're in the the setting fully Dane, did you say I him banging away with the, the hammer score? was impactful yeah the noises are just very loud and yeah the, you know, the, with the lack of the banging is impact connor i'm removing you from this i'm removing you from this <laughs> Uh, from this podcast, I would ask you to leave, please, because I'm just tired of you. You are not funny. Just stop. <laughs> this isn't even just funny bullying. This just seems actually me. <laughs> well, that, uh, the, the viewers might not know this, but uh, me and Connor are friends and have been friends for almost our entire lives. And uh, I have this joke that I do with him where I bully him. <laughs> we both know that it's all in good fun. But uh, sometimes it gets a little mean. You know? Yeah, hilarious joke, Jeff. I really love this bit that we do. This is the same thing as the me and Ben joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like two episodes ago, I said the exact same thing. All right. <laughs> I said the exact same thing to Ben, and Ben's like, oh yeah, totally a bit, right? <laughs> Jeff, I think they're taking our bit. Well, this well, has only been going on for so long. Ben, this has been going on before you even knew who Nabil was. Damn, all right? Jeff and that. We're, Jeff we're reaching our seventh year, right, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, at least. Probably longer than that. All right. Anyway, the score <laughs> of There Will Be Blood is actually something I, you know, I like to do a little research after the film, especially when it's a movie that I, like, really get into and just can't stop thinking about. Um, one of the things that I took away most was 
I just thought the orchestral score was incredible. It was something we were talking about constantly as the film was going on. And it's actually, the score is by the Radiohead guitarist, Johnny Greenwood. And I thought that was such an interesting choice um, to pick an already established and, you know, um, kind of out there musician rather than just going with a tradition um, musician. I feel like it went well for them too, because like it, it honestly like did not sound like you know like a Radiohead style of music. Like it was very like unique to the movie and different. Oh, from absolutely, the and I, band I, stuff. I think that's um, what's good about him. It shows, um, you know, his depth as a musician and the direction that um, the director Paul Thomas Anderson was going in um, was one of kind of out there. Um, unlike anything else. Yeah, it was very incredible and very... As the movie goes on, it's just... It really swells up in a very... uh, Like I was saying before, uncut gems really remind me in terms of the vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it just really sets the tone for the film. Like, that movie was... At the beginning, the whole... I wouldn't call it a montage, but that whole him dragging himself out of the the hole, back to get his paperwork done with that, like... It's very, like, tingly music. It's very scary. And you realize this is going to be the whole film. And it's like, versus Uncut Gems was, you know, that whole beginning section was just very, it was like, with the synth, you could tell this was going to be very heavy on you, I think. Yeah, that's a good comparison, good analysis. Um, yeah, and uh, actually having watched it separately from you guys, watching it with Nabil, that was also the first thing I brought up was just the, it's almost like this, like, somewhere near the beginning, this heavy anxiety-inducing music coming when he's driving a car up to the train station and they're going out to the, the first property that he buys. Very... Yeah, and the pacing of the film is very... Um, it's, it reminded me a lot of... I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Citizen Kane or even, I guess, The Godfather in some ways, but in the, the way Godfather. that... I can totally see that connection. Yeah, the, all those these those three films I just mentioned, including this one, all of them being character studies. It's interesting how uh, you know similar yet different they are, and the pace is what really made me first realize that the character. What's his first name? Daniel. Daniel Plainview. Definitely, it, it, his character was probably in the top ten greediest characters. No, would you say so? He definitely fits that that archetype of like. He has like a driven sense to do one thing, and of course with Daniel Day Lewis, you know his he he is a character actor, so it's something that's hold up that holds up that I think in I guess in the two thousands that's a character you're not going to forget. So when you're comparing yeah. it to Citizen Kane to Marlon Brando and Godfather, those are characters. So I would say even even more so, um, I can see strong connections between. Um, Michael in The Godfather Part 2 ah, and uh, that's true. Daniel Plainview in this film. Both, you know, um, men who are put in these positions where they have seemingly all the power mm-hmm. in the world, but they learn that it's not, it's never enough. You know, they can have all of this power and it's still not enough for them. It's not satisfying um, to control everything and as a result, kind of everything in their life goes into disarray because they don't they don't know how to handle it. I think the only difference though is that with Daniel Plainview, you know, we're only getting that one snippet of like of ten years versus with the Corleones, you're getting their the whole like fifty years. So you see the development through the three movies. But that's just because that that movie is that's a trilogy that that you're able to expand on Michael. It's, you could see a different Michael in the first, second, and what you're saying like in the third. I would say the third one is where you see that disarray. So. 
it's like versus what they did with one movie and one character versus a whole family in three movies. They were able to fit it into one guy and into you know, two. Was it two hours forty minutes? So it's pretty impressive. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I think those are some pretty good comparisons. I was also thinking, you know, a little bit about uh, Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad, um, the, the latter <laughs> part where he is just constantly needs more and more. There are some differences because I think Daniel's character is a little bit more leaning towards like sociopathic. There's less justification for what he's doing than you might be able mm-hmm. to make the case for uh, with uh, Walter White, but I think it's the same general theme, just lusting after power and money and role. Yeah, I think the the it's it's hubris that really connects Walter White and uh, Daniel Plainview, and you know it's a hubris is a very like timeless theme. It's like in the Odyssey, Julius Caesar, and it's it's really just the excessive pride that brings the downfall. That's the two for me. What makes it hard, I think, to for people maybe to sympathize with Daniel is that we don't see versus you know Walter White, we see a lot of his the family issues and a lot where we see a lot more about his background. With Daniel, you're giving very little. So what you are given, like the the fake brother, the whole thing with that, and then his son, that's all you can have to sort of connect the dots to see a more human side to him. And that's why I think, like I said, uh, he's probably probably the most... Okay, granted, yeah, Walter White was an an a-hole, but Plainview was also, I think, uh, another level of that. We saw Daniel Daniel Plainview going from... How how long does the movie stretch? Uh, probably over thirty years of his. Yeah, it's twenty nine. Yeah, total. Twenty nine total of his Just from uh, eighteen ninety eight to nineteen twenty seven. And we get to see that in two hours and forty minutes mm-hmm. versus Walter White. We get to see you know five seasons, five seasons. each yeah. each with forty minute episodes. Call it like ten a season at least. And that's and you get to see just like four years of his. So it's much different. You uh, yeah. that's why it's easier to make Daniel Plainview into the villain because you get less time to identify with. Compared I, to I do life. think also the point uh, of the two is different. Uh, while this definitely is a movie that focuses on Daniel's character specifically, I think that when we get uh, we can just go into it now. I guess if we want, but the the themes of the movie are just highlighted through this character and i think it's less about watching i mean a character change so much so as just uh he doesn't change significantly we do see like some emotion out of him you know with when he cries about his brother and stuff but i think it's supposed to be more representative of something the point that the movie's trying to make you know um he kind of embodies greed and that like uh this the american spirit from the time of just get whatever you can at all costs and you know just it's it's very he embodies the spirit of capitalism right yeah so i think that's also a reason why they didn't want to offer as many redeeming qualities for him because it makes the the point more uh, significantly made it's it hits harder yeah me i mean or you can go ahead sorry. he as you said he embodies greed and a bunch of other things but also i think the biggest thing to me was that what it's showing is that this is the exact type of person who thrives in a capitalist um, structure because it's created this environment in which to be successful, you have to be heartless. Like there, there are several studies done about how successful sociopaths and psychopaths are in the business world. Uh, I think Daniel is a perfect perfect example of that. 
he's a high-functioning narcissist, possibly sociopath. I mean, he goes on a speech um, to his fake brother about how he doesn't have feelings for other people. Um, I think that's very clear. And the message being made is that these are the kind of people the system was created to, um, for and to push forward. Because, you know, if you have things such as empathy, um, it's harder to function in um, this kind of system. But I don't think it's not just him. I think another main theme of this whole movie is hypocrisy. Because also, uh, I don't know, his name? Eli Sunday. Oh, Eli. The same thing. I would say it's the same thing. He's... He's trying to work those people at the church. He's trying to get all this money. You see how he kind of controls his father. And, oh, absolutely. And you can say the same thing about he's he's being hypocritical about about caring. And you could say the same. Well, you could say you could say to agree the same thing for uh for for Daniel. You know the whole situation with with his son when he you know just gives him away for like a month. But I definitely there was one small point of redemption. I think this is probably one of my favorite scenes was. I did not abandon my child. That whole that whole part right there, you can tell at first he's, he's just trying to play along. But I think on that last that last uh, exclaim, you you can kind of tell that it got to him for real. But I after don't know. that, I I, I don't I know. Think I think so. Really, I think he really only did that to get what he wanted. He only did that to get the pipeline built. And then it's it's shown mm-hmm. even further when when he um when he gets his child back. And he comes back to him in the car. Um, they have this very long shot, super far away from it, um, because I don't think it's supposed to be a emotional moment when they're reconnected. No, that's um, true. It's that's very, true. you know, it's very on the dissonant. And yeah, you're you're watching from far away because mm-hmm. that really was just for appearances. He was publicly humiliated essentially by having to admit I've abandoned my child, but. He didn't actually mean that. He was just doing that for all for show. Hmm. I, I do I do think in the final exclaim, it did yeah. get to him, but I don't think that changed why he took no, his no. child back. I think it hurt him, but he's the type of person that, at the end of the day, that pain that he's experiencing is put below his desire to succeed and accumulate more and more power and wealth. I think it hits him in his hypocrisy of family. You know, when he's going to the town, he's like, oh, me and my son, we're going to come in. Me and my son, this and that, you know. But in that moment, I think he, there was definitely something. But I'm sure as soon as soon, you know, after that, I went back to his original mind state. So Yeah, it didn't change him. Yeah. It didn't have a large effect on him. But I think it was, I think the final exclaim specifically was supposed to show this kind of just highlighting the emotional torture that he is actually experiencing but the fact that ultimately his son or well hw you know his son technically speaking is what he has always been to daniel and that's just kind of a tool to get ahead and make himself look better i think the reason why he was so hurt in that scene was because it wasn't that it actually hurt him the fact that he abandoned his son it was the fact that it hurt his ego in the sense that now people are all listening to him having to exclaim the fact that he abandoned his child and think less of him and him knowing that and being such a narcissistic person and such a power hungry person that he wants everyone to think positively of him that that's what really got to him is that the masses would turn on him because 
he's not a good person. He's abandoned his child and all. He was probably fearful of that and ashamed to have to exclaim and tell everyone. Of, I can see uh, that. I think it could be a. I think it could be a combination of the different things there. I think all of the points can kind of come together um, and sum up that relationship they have there. I think um, the end, the ending scene, not the exact final scene, but the last scene between H.W. and um, Daniel is one of my favorite scenes in the film because it really just all comes out there. I mean, Daniel has nothing else to kind of lose. So once he hears that his son will be a quote-unquote competitor, um, he kind of just lets loose and lets him know how he really feels. Um, and it's, I think that actually is an interesting part where HW kind of does not give him the reaction he probably wanted. Um, and, you know, obviously he's deaf, but even as, you know, he's out of the room, um, walking out of the house, he's still mm -hmm. screaming, um, bastard from a basket to him. Um, and I think that's an interesting breaking point that sets up the final scene, um, which I don't know if we want to talk about yet, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we're going to get there because that's a whole nother... Uh, that yeah. kind of brings, it goes into the main the main uh, themes and central workings of the movie. But, I mean, just to finish, like, this Daniel discussion, uh, it feels like... Okay, so Daniel hates people a lot, right? He said that he wants to get away from everybody. Daniel keeps proving that from his own perspective to me that no one is worth liking. Uh, everyone wants to either deceive him or make him do things that he doesn't want to do. He finds his brother, and it's it's one of the few times where he breaks from his hard uh, exterior, but he's deceived. Um, and it, it multiplies his hate, it feels like, from that point on. And uh, He was so easy to trust the, the imposters, probably because he was looking for an itch of, of security, thinking that, you know, fam, oh, if this is my blood, you know, maybe he'll be truthful to me. This is someone I can like. But, of course, he's completely proven wrong with that and just sets him back to his old ways. So, I don't know. I, I like that whole I – didn't, I didn't get it at first, that whole part where he's, like, drinking peach – what was it? Peach something when they were at the beach. He's, what, what did he say that, like, triggered it? Something. Have a drink at the peach tree. He was referencing places in his hometown okay. – that his real brother would have known <laughs> and his fake brother was like uh yeah totally <laughs> and he that's how he kind of found out well, his line i think that scene between like the scene where he was like starting to realize and like the audience was starting to realize that it was a fake brother i think that was probably my mm. personal favorite scene just because it like set up so much of the climax like just kind of revealing some of the characters and like revealing some intention i'm not trying not to spoil the end Bill, i don't know if this is but we can fit this somewhere, yeah, but that scene it, I thought was good. from my research of the 2007 films, it draws a lot of comparisons to No Country for Old Men. Is that something that can be talked about, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the two movies are very similar in the sense that they're slow burn thriller character studies for sure. Um, I don't know how many people here have seen that. Has has I, how many? I've only never read it, but I I know the gist of it, and they're both very. Okay. They they have a lot of dread in them. I would say. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. But the difference between them is that you have the, the dread that you get in No Country for Old Men is mm -hmm. because you are constantly in this chase. Because for those that don't know the concept of uh, like the, the story behind it, it's a man has run off with money that he has found 
like what was it like 1.5 million dollars or something that he had found and he was running away from someone who was tracking him down and you were dealing with that dread over the character the whole time of not knowing where his potential killer is because the guy was hunting him down to kill him so that that dread that you felt throughout that was actually prompted by something Versus this dread you felt because of the character and just the general, uh, all the different cinematic pieces that they used, uh, all the tools they used with uh, specific specific shots to angle him down and make him look lesser to the audience uh, by using music that invokes sort of fear. So it's almost as if you're seeing this man devolve before you and you have to dread what he's going to do. So it's a different type hmm. of dread and still dread that you tangibly. Yes. You get to the final. Well, I actually, I, I want to backtrack still, um, just to the the thing that Manny was talking about. Ooh, that's the, a the theme of that's democracy a whole other... and that's Eli's like... character. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before we go to the, I, I think before we can talk about that final interaction between them, we should kind of talk about him on his own and some of the interactions from his side, right? So. I think one of the first things that struck me was the scene where, um, you know, they're going to set up the drill, the first drill on the Sunday's property after they buy it. And Eli's asking him if he could do a blessing. And he's like, he says it. And it's so clear, I think, uh, could be, could, because he repeats the line three times. If you could just say my name first, if you could just say my name, he wants him yeah, to give yeah. him credit for that blessing. It's not even about the blessing. It's about him. And it's kind of, uh, it's, I mean, it's exactly what you were talking about. And it's the same thing with, uh, the character, um, uh, with Daniel's character and how he, he doesn't do it because he doesn't want to give that to Eli. He wants it to make him look better. So instead he's like, Oh, it's this young girl's, uh, it's this young girl's land. And like, you know, he hugs her in front of everybody and that makes him look better. And it doesn't let Eli, get any type of power or recognition over him right so i think that was a really interesting scene and uh also obviously the scene where he just brutally attacks eli in the field and just rubs him in the oil uh i think that was a really intense um emotional scene uh because regardless of what you think for the characters just the manner in which you know he's he's slapping him he's dragging him by the hair uh I think that amount of violence was really powerful. And, and um, one, or sorry. Yeah, I, I think it's just like a direct way that they explicated that type of having power over another person. You know, that is the most direct way to show it. Yeah, and like one thing, like kind of separately, but going off of the Eli character, so one thing I really liked about like the progression of him is like when he was first in, and like within the first couple scenes that he's in. He seems like you can definitely sense some of his like power hungriness and like the way that he talks over the father and like gets like is asking a lot of questions and is getting kind of aggressive with Daniel Plainview and like the, their first scene in the like in the dining room together of the Sunday's house and then like leading through that he's he's like seems kind of timid and like in the background but like still wanting that power and I don't think his character is really brought out into the light until the scene the first scene in the church where he is healing the woman's arthritis like the older woman mm -hmm. and like it, it's very obvious through like this framing of the scene that it's like not something that's actually happening it's just like a show he's being, he's putting on yeah but, like I... the amount of power you see him holding up there and just like 
the confidence he's putting out like definitely brings out his character and like not necessarily who he is all the time but who he wishes he you know yeah and with that scene it, it i think the, um i might be mistaken here but at least the way i took it uh the way they filmed that scene and the way that you see Daniel talking to the people he's trying to sell his ideas to prior in the, mm-hmm. um, in the film, it really feels like they're trying to draw this parallel. And at that point reveal, Oh, this guy is actually the same as Daniel. He's trying to sell, you know, his parishioners, the fact that, you know, he's a very religious, powerful man in that sense. And Daniel's trying to sell to these people that he's the best oil man uh, that they can get. And you also have in that scene, Daniel is like looking on at Eli giving his sermon and healing the woman of arthritis. And he's kind of looking, uh, just the expression he gives alone, it just kind of is this recognition. He realizes that Eli is, mm. you know, cut from the same cloth as him in that sense. I think really good acting by Daniel Day-Lewis there. I feel like it was just so well portrayed. And um, also just something, you know, that's really interesting is with Eli's character and with Daniel Day-Lewis's character is like the, you know, the religious aspect. And I think there's just a few things I wanted to bring up um, from the movie here, reading some other analyses and just some of the things I noticed. Uh, There's a, you know, the scene that we were just talking about where Eli is healing the woman, he's talking about expelling the evil, right? And the camera follows him out. Like he is pushing this evil force out of the church and Mm -hmm. the camera is also being pushed kind of like you're from the perspective of that you go from the woman's hands and then he's pushing it down the aisle and out the door and Mm -hmm. then the camera just comes back in to daniel's face and he's just standing right there in the church um which i think is an interesting uh you know a little point out that daniel is kind of that evil that is trying to be driven out right to some degree you could make that connection um, also just things that are done with the oil that, uh, I saw some really cool analyses of was right early on when HW is still a child, his dad takes the oil and rubs it on his head, which is, you know, a secular, um, uh, the thing that there is done and I'm no, not actually sure. Yeah. Catholic, yeah. Right? And I've had that done to me. They, you know, uh, put the oil or the ashes on your forehead, just like, like that. Is it relating how in the exact them, same way, the which is really their, interesting. Their ritual and their religion themselves yeah it's kind of like this like salvation right they they view it as like this yeah, yeah. thing that will bring them prosperity wealth yeah and prosperity literally speaking right mm-hmm. and also there's some you know the scene where eli is just like he's rubbing him in the oil daniel is rubbing eli in the oil in that violent attack scene that i mentioned uh it's almost like you know once again the oil is yeah, being used yeah. in a sense where it's kind of it kind of like baptizes them not literally speaking but also just, uh, I mentioned this at the beginning, I think the oil is also kind of in a way representative of blood because it constantly is responsible for so many deaths and, uh, you know, the injury to HW. And a lot of the times you'll see the blood just with the oil, right? When the guy dies in the accident, you see a little bit of blood, but it's mostly the oil, but the blood is still there. And that happens again in the second accident and, uh, also during the fight so i think that's pretty interesting and during to go off of what you said about like the oil baptism mm-hmm. i don't like i don't know if this is what it was going for exactly but i think you can definitely make some analysis there about like <clears throat> daniel having like kind of exerting a power over eli and forcing that baptism which could yeah. be a commentary on like the catholic church and like how not necessarily baptism itself but like 
being a part of the church and like doing the things that the Bible says becomes more than like recommended. It becomes kind of a thing in general. Yeah, and I don't even think and, like, it necessarily has to be limited to the church. It's just kind of that mindset that I guess during that time period you could you could say America or it's a kind of like a capitalist thing where th- like it's just all about power and forcing people into a position below you so that you can be above them, right? That power dynamic, like to bring it into the final scene a little bit, if that is okay. Uh, there's one more thing I we haven't actually mentioned yet, surprisingly. Um, the scene after Eli is attacked, where he attacks his father, right? He goes back to the house. He's still covered in the mud and the, the grime from when he was drugged through the field by Daniel. And he has this just violent verbal attack and physical assault on his father, talking about, you know, how God doesn't... Uh, give salvation to stupid people and it's his fault that this is happening but what i found extremely interesting about that scene was i felt it to be very similar to the scene in breaking bad um where it's like eli was just kind of emasculated he had someone take all of the control and power away from him right and then he goes home Mm -hmm. so he has to take the power away from his father to feel better about himself uh like the scene early on in breaking bad where Walter, uh, I, I forget exactly what happens, but basically he doesn't have control over his situation. He feels powerless. He goes home and he essentially sexually assaults his wife, not related to anything other than he just wants to feel like he's in control again. He wants to just do something against somebody else's will because that was just done to him, right? And I think that's kind of like the big reveal turning point for Eli because early on you can see him as a good guy next to Daniel Day-Lewis. He might be seen as more of a positive character but in that scene you just kind of realize uh, this is why he's doing these things it's clearly not about god it's clearly not about helping his family get money off of the oil it's about him right and feeling like he's the better person or the in control of this family and what he's doing <laughs> oh yeah how i met your mother actually has an episode kind of on that same topic they call it the, the cycle of of screaming where it's like i think marshall's boss yells at him at works so then he comes home and he's like angry with lily and then she gets mad at the kids at school and then they're mad at their parents and it's like just talks about how like just people like it's just kind of a constant cycle of just people want to be so they were constantly oppressed whoever they are able to. yeah not even necessarily like aggressively towards the other person just like as a kind of self self-saving yeah and it's kind of related to what ben was saying with the capitalism because it's like or whatever you want to call it the system in which these people arise from they're obviously going to have parts of that system's basic principles within them and within their actions, right? So coming out of the system where you have to constantly be working and doing whatever you can to get a, a ahead of your competitor, that is going to carry over into other aspects of your personality and your life. And it kind of is like this, uh, I don't know if pervasive is the correct word, but it just kind of permeates from the base of it into all of the parts that sprout from it, right? So I think in time. Is it time? I think it might be time. All right. Okay. So to start it out, like to go along with that same like uh, <laughs> wanting control theme, uh, like I thought this between Eli and Daniel in the bowling alley, like towards the beginning, was already really powerful, which is like their conversation kind of building, and then Daniel was pressuring Eli to admit that he was a false prophet. And, like, that wasn't for anything. He Like, Daniel didn't want other people to know that. He didn't even care if other people knew that. Like, really, that wasn't the purpose of the scene. It kind of more seemed like 
Daniel just wanted to both express to Eli that he had that power over and also just mm. force Eli to like submit himself to Daniel by admitting that. To him. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because it's kind of what we were just talking about where first you see him lose power over his son and then he has to take the power back from somebody else. And like you said, there's not even an audience. It's just for him. He just wants mm. to know that he can do that. And it that it's multiple scenes throughout the movie just remind me of that aspect of Breaking Bad. You know the scene where he's like, "Say my name." He just he just wants to know that he can get the person to say whatever he wants because he has so much power. It almost seems like he, he's almost like what is it like relative twenty to them, uh, fifteen like, years after figure. the last events. It's like he's been blue balled for that long. And now he can finally express it face to face to you know one of his old codgers or whatever. And so that's why that there's a whole that whole cathartic ending. That's, I think it's a thing. It's a good ending. It's a really good ending. That's just how. You, that's how you should wrap something up like that. Something so tight between like two characters and a foil to Daniel. It's like, I think it's the best way. Yeah, and it's also really interesting just to evolve Eli's character to the final point that he reaches. Of you know, throughout the movie, he's he mentions you know, yeah. first he was told by Daniel that he's going to get the what is it five thousand dollars for the church, right? And then later on, he mentions that he still hasn't received it. But, you know, like when he brings Daniel to the church and makes him say that he abandoned his child, he mentions in the sermon directly after, this man is now a part of our community and he offered us $5,000, which we still haven't gotten. Um, so he eventually gets that. But then by the end of it, he clearly didn't do what he wanted with it because he comes back to Daniel asking for more. And he ended up taking what he was given just to build up his own name and ego further until he needed more right drainage <laughs> drainage yeah what do you that whole sorry Nabil, you go i was just gonna set it up just what do you think of that uh, altercation where he's leading him to believe that this bandy tract uh that eli is begging for daniel to buy and come cultivate is already within his control what do you think about him uh, leading eli on for that well that... i think that's that's the whole beauty of the interaction that they were just discussing about uh, Eli and uh, about forcing Eli to admit he's a false prophet is because that he brought up the bandy tract, you know, specifically to that's the whole reason why he's why he has that total power over him because uh, Eli knows that he needs Daniel's help in order to get out of the financial troubles he's in. He needs him to purchase the bandy tract and you know, just the fact that Eli, that that's what makes the interaction so beautiful between them is that he forces him to, you know, basically strip himself, his entire soul, uh, bare naked and just admit to all his faults just to find out it was all for naught when uh, <laughs> the milkshake monologue comes on. Yeah. And then, you know, he's ensured that Eli has truly humiliated himself and then, like you said, destroys his soul. With the, uh, you know, taunting him, the milkshakes, drainage, uh, also taunting him in the sense that he says that his brother Paul can become a commercial success, which might be a lie. And then once he's fully degraded Eli, he completes his lifetime goal to one-up him by murdering him. And then he says that he's finished. It really ties into the whole capitalism theme, Ben, you obviously love to discuss being an anti-capitalist. Uh, <laughs> it's just a commentary on the idea of capitalism like eliminating your competitors and in the end daniel 
has won. He's eliminated the entire competition, but what is you still look at him and you almost just feel bad for him, even though he has come out victorious in his quest. And yeah. That's, it's just truly just, you know, a, a, a real thinker of an ending there. Yeah, and I think something really interesting to think about given the ending is uh, kind of like the, the context in which Eli comes to him, right? Um, if you kind of look at it and analyze the dynamic between the two, you can kind of see like this chess game that they're playing with each other sort of throughout the movie um really highlighted by the ending is like eli comes to him asking for this not only because he needs him but he also knows that daniel might actually take this ability to you know have some power over him by saving him right if daniel is the one that saves him then he might have some control over eli in the future and i think he recognizes that uh because they're both the same right it's the same instance when he goes to the the church to you know have uh he brings daniel to the church to have him publicly humiliated daniel only does that because he's like if i go there then you know this is the only person that can you know maybe save my public image or get me get me the pipeline right that's what it was initially um this is what i'm going to need to get the land for the pipeline so i'll go play his game and i know that he will take that opportunity to be above me but it's kind of like this back and forth and i think it's interesting because it's just watching the pull and push of both of them and this back and forth of trying to be on top of each other and then it all eventually just ends in you know daniel killing eli and and, and then it's like jeff said it's his victory but i don't know it's very interesting and i think it's very well done uh, obviously writing and also just the the acting i feel like you can really sometimes just the expressions of both of them really expand upon the what's going on you can really get a lot of like almost not just emotion but like you can see them thinking right when they're looking at each other in scenes and you know i I think it's very very cool to watch and very well done yeah what do you guys think of the title uh in relation to them to the film it was accurate Um, yeah i mean literally it was accurate (laughs) uh wait connor connor was there blood i don't remember there was, in fact, blood. Definitely, Definitely blood. more oil, but there was blood. No one's going to come to see There Will Be Oil. There Will Be Blood has more of a ring to it. Yeah, and I think yeah. as a title and function, it's like you go into the movie, right? Not really, if you don't really know what it's about, you kind of start to get an idea for what's happening, the things that they're doing, you know, involving the oil and what Ben's talking about making progress. And that title just marks this inevi- inevitability as you're watching that there will be blood right there will be and it doesn't have to mean literally blood or death or violence but there will be consequences like ben was saying and it just kind of it's it's really interesting to think about because it it goes for anything right in this system uh or in these sets of circumstances there will always be some kind of suffering uh to some party involved if you want to get that far ahead yeah i was gonna say like somebody made the joke about like saying like there will be oil as the title but i think like the reason that it's not and like just a comparison is like throughout the movie oil is given so much value by like by both daniel who wants to drill for it and sell it for the money by the towns because they want it to be drilled to create the you know the jobs and get all that prosperity and the oil has so much value in it whereas blood throughout the movie is based is seen as not having any value yeah like Daniel, the son, like, it wasn't even a blood-related son, which I think was done on purpose, but the reason that he had the son was because his friend had died and had shed blood. So 
<clears throat> kind of through that, that created the bond with the son. And then later on, he threw even that away, showing that, like, the blood shed by his friend and him taking care of that is just meaningless. Yeah, and yeah. He, he, there is also the scene where he's like, my blood is in you, right, or whatever. He says that to Henry. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think if you want to link the idea of the title back to what you guys were talking about with not only the ending scene, but with, like, capitalism. You know, he, he shouts at one point during that ending scene, he said, you know, I am the third revelation. Yeah. He sees himself as, like, God speaking through him now. And that idea of God, and also the title of the film in that biblical text also connects to this. Because I feel like in the context of the movie, it feels like PTA is kind of viewing God as, like, a transactional exchange with capitalism. And I'll expand on that. The capitalism that used to belong to the religious movement, you know, before 1897 or whatever it was, even though they don't offer what they're selling, much like Eli at the end of the movie, uh, Eli believes that he has oil to sell, but the oil now belongs to Daniel. And Daniel does have something real to sell, and his oil is going to fuel the 20th century and what comes next in modern history. So he really controls the blood of the land. And now, far more than Eli, represents what Americans will worship, you know, wealth, power, not religious healing. So it, it seems like the movie is about a lot of things, but primarily, if you want to look at it from that perspective we were talking about before, it's about a, a country and society and transit uh, to where we are. I think um, something else that, not being directly related, uh, if it's okay that I bring it up now, is like the reoccurring use of alcohol by Daniel, right? Um, Might have fit in a bit better earlier but we're talking about his emotion right we're mentioning that it seems like he he definitely i mean he explicates that he doesn't really care about other people and he seems to just worry more about himself he's able to give his son away because it's slowing him down and he's found a better guy that he can bring to pitches right he thinks he found his brother that's his new family uh tie-in for his sales meetings or whatever but uh it's really interesting because i think the presence of him drinking and there's multiple scenes where he's just he wakes up like passed out clearly from drinking or um i mean from the first scene the baby's crying and he puts alcohol into the bottle and feeds it to hw as a baby and he does that again when hw asked by henry if they could go outside and talk about something you know because it wouldn't be appropriate for a child and then what does he do he just gives him alcohol and puts him to sleep and he does the same thing after he kills henry and cries about his brother he just drinks himself to sleep and uh i don't know if you directly see it but it i mean is he not intoxicated in the last scene do we know it, it seems well, he like he thinks okay he is. Yeah, so he it is like an entire handle of oh yeah 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 he does okay yeah he's just chugging the handle and i think it's like i think that is kind of a thing that might just directly be trying to show that he is suppressing his emotions because there are consequences to all the things he's doing and it might not be as simple as he's just straight up a sociopath and doesn't care he clearly does care he wouldn't have cried about his brother if he didn't right but i think he just tries to ignore those things using alcohol and it's actually really interesting because right that's a cultural like a cornerstone people right use alcohol especially at this time to escape the horrible nature of what is going on in their lives right I mean, we're in the mm-hmm. 20s at that point. I, I think it's really interesting, actually. And I definitely think that it's trying to be explicitly shown that, you know, every time alcohol is used, it's just to 
turn off these negative emotions that one character or the other is experiencing. To change the topic a little bit, but to go back to what we were talking about with the title, doing some light research, it seems like the title either is directly or it just happened a reference to Exodus 7, 19 in the Bible. Sorry, that's pretty short. Uh, so the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters, over the rivers, canals, ponds, and all their water reservoirs, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. I think that's kind of yeah, I think uh, something just really quick with what Connor said with the, the scripture that he read there. Um, it's, you know, kind of already covered and you can take it from what we were saying, but just, uh, you know, building the pipeline and expanding the oil, spreading it out, moving it to more and more places, expanding his empire. Uh, it's kind of also just shows that there will be more and more blood because this industry is being introduced to more and more people. Right. And every time we see them drilling or doing something uh, work related involving the oil, somebody dies. Right. And if that's going to keep happening in more and more places, more and more people are going to die. You can yeah, kind of extrapolate. And like that Bible verse, like in context, I think relates to the story even more because like that was I don't remember which number it was, but that was one of the first plagues that God inflicted upon Egypt to try to get Pharaoh uh, let the Jewish slaves go. So it's kind of interesting to think about that because, like, that's kind of the Jews tr and God trying to take control of the Indians and get what they want out of it. And the seventh plague was the death of all the first. So it's kind of funny to, like, look at that in relation to seeing, like, uh, Daniel was trying to take over control of the oil all across, you know, America, wherever he could get his hands on. And Eli was kind of trying to keep control of his small area and... You know, little by little, Daniel ended up gaining control until the end. He, the end was also death, same as the plagues. So I think that's kind of interesting to look at the comparison. Yeah, and people talk about it in that way too, in the sense that, you know, it's considered by many to be a modern masterpiece. Uh, you know, I talked about the relations to Kubrick um, and Paul Thomas Anderson, but, uh, you know, you could even put this on the same stool as uh, godfather maybe for today's age sort of in, in a lot of ways uh i don't know i think it's i think it's really gonna i think time will tell obviously but i think it's gonna age well something that i wanted to discuss was uh i thought about the significance specifically of when the movie ended the plot ends in the year 1927 which really uh the 1928 election and then afterwards is really what led to the to this great depression that occurred uh so what do you i i thought it was significant the fact that the ultimate level of capitalist power as portrayed through daniel was placed in the was placed in the year 1927 why do you think that they purposefully excluded times past the great depression because they are clearly referencing it by the fact that they are putting it so close if you like this one, uh, if you haven't seen Uncut Gems by now, go see that. You know? Uncut Gems, Godfather, uh, Breaking Bad, that one episode of How I Met Your Mother, all referenced throughout today's episode. Big show show. In time. I forgot about how good you are in time. If you're hungering for more PTA, uh, this kind of style, watch The Master, starring Joaquin Phoenix. It's pretty... I won't get into it, but it, it's it can be divisive. And it's... Well, yeah. Watch that. And... 
Yeah, it's on Netflix, maybe. Um, Gangs of New York. Well, I was thinking, I was, I was thinking, you know, I wanted to run it by you guys, but I was thinking next week we could do just a freestyle. You know, there are there are a few people I want to get on the podcast who I just want to hear some thoughts. You know, we've done a few specific episodes so far, so I figure one week we might take a break, just talk about anything and everything again. Those are always fun. Um, Possibly switching up the style of movie with some, some lighter comedies. Yeah, Django and Chains on Netflix could do that. <laughs> you know, some lighter, some lighter comedies. Django and Chains. Oh, did someone say lighter comedy? I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said that. Yes, yeah, comedies. You know, I think the end is like over a hundred thirty times in that movie. <laughs> like comedy. Uh, <laughs> um, people being, you know. Oh, don't cancel me! Don't cancel me for saying "n word" is used in Django Unchained. <laughs> Dude, they're, they're they're already gonna cancel me for talking about Kate Nelson. Okay. Over. Yeah, Connor, what would you say your dad did to the dolphins? My dad builds oh, dolphins Christ. as well as everyday people need. Get it on YouTube, Nabil. If any I'm, viewers I'm can send in a picture of an iP- original iPod Shuffle with no screen playing this podcast, they will get a shout out. Oh, oh I hit mute. Okay, that's weird. Um, they will get a shout out by me on the next <laughs> podcast. Send that directly to me. My Instagram is Connor Park underscore underscore. Yeah. So... iPod Shuffle. <laughs> just, just keep it muted. Oh God, I hate. <laughs> okay. Please stop. Please stop muting. <laughs> Okay, this has been Nabil Sharif. You've been listening to Ben Casey, Darian Nigro, Jeff Williams, and Manny Ray talk about There Will Be Blood. Oh, and uh, I guess this guy too. Thank you for unmuting me. You're welcome. See you guys on Crunker. Peace.